0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, So glad to be with you uh, this morning. And I'm looking forward to starting, we're starting a new series uh, this week on Ruth. It's going to be pretty short, three or four weeks. Uh, It's only a short little four-chapter book in the Old Testament. And it comes right after Judges. In fact, it happens during the time of Judges. And full transparency, when we got to the end of Judges, I couldn't wait to get out of the Old Testament and like, okay, I need some hope and some joy here in the middle of things. And so the thought of uh, kind of going on with Ruth after that just that did not warm my soul much. But I really wanted to kind of jump back and kind of tie that up because Ruth is a is a, an incredible story, an amazing story, really about a gracious God uh, to a woman who was born of a people that were so separated and isolated from God, born on the wrong side of the tracks, the wrong side of town, if you will. And yet God in his great sovereignty and it's just his amazing grace that we sung about just a minute ago, works in her life and her circumstances that we'll see unfold uh, over these next few weeks in a powerful way. It becomes really a, a, almost like an Old Testament parable, but in real life. I mean, Ruth was a real person. They were, these are real, this is a real story that we're going to be reading, not so much, you know, Jesus told in parables that were uh, stories that, that he been pieced together to kind of teach a truth, to, to help us understand something. But the story of Ruth is really a, a, a picture of Jesus and his church. And uh, it's a picture of God's grace and the, the, the wonderful love that he has for us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, here in a couple of weeks. But till then, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth. So if, you, if it's like in the, like maybe the sixth book of the Bible, I don't remember, G- Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Eight. Eight. The eighth book end. So turn with me. Read with me the first few verses. Ruth chapter 1. The Bible says this. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... So the, these guys were living in the land of Israel. Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem. They were living amongst God's people. They were Jews. And a famine came to the land. And rather than following what God had told them was they should do when famines hit, they abandoned ship, and they cross over to the other side of the Dead Sea. In fact, Moab was directly across the Dead Sea from Bethlehem, so they would have had to go gone up and around or some way or other, and they left looking for food. Now, we'll carry on with the story. In verse 2, the Bible says this, The, man, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. Elimelech means, my God is king. Naomi means Pleasant or Lovely. Both of those names are significant, and we'll talk about those more in a minute. And the, the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, which was against the law of Israel, they took the na- these Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpa, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Desperate, bleak situation. Then she arose in verse 6, with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. And so she sets out to take her two daughters-in-law with her. Desperate, desperate situation. We're going to discover this morning that difficult situations require deep faith. Desperate situations require even deeper faith. And obedience to God. See, this is a story this morning about decisions. We're, we're not going to have the chance to work through every chapter this morning. It would be too, too long, too much time for us to do that. And we kind of want to savor the, each phase by phase. And chapter 1 is a picture of desperation. It's a picture of the challenges that we face in life. And what we're going to see is, is that the decisions that you and I make in life, in the middle of those difficulties, matter a whole lot. They're significant. Life is made up of thousands of decisions. We go, we make all kinds of decisions every day and every week without thinking about it. My guess is you probably made a dozen decisions already this morning before you walked in the door to church. When to get out of bed? What to have for breakfast? How much coffee to drink? What, what you're already, already planning on lunch and what you're thinking about doing this afternoon? And you're like, well, I'm not too sure. Well, that even is a decision. You've made a decision not to be sure yet, and just to kind of kick that can down the road. What to wear and all kinds of decisions in life that we make. Most of them are very small decisions, but along the way, there's big decisions that we all make. Well, when times are tough, when things are difficult in our life and matters are desperate, that's when our decisions and our choices become very critical, become very important in life. And we need to be careful how we move and when we move and exactly what we do. These are not matters of, you know, whether or not to have a little orange juice this morning, whether to have poached eggs versus scrambled eggs. These are significant matters, life-altering, course-changing kind of decisions that really impact our life. I want us to notice just a couple of things this morning. The first thing I want us to notice is that our choice, our decisions, the way we respond to these situations matter. When our back is to the wall, when you and I are facing a bleak time in our life, when things get so difficult, and we're facing situations that are desperate, Our next move on the board, our next move on the the chess table, if you will, needs to be right. And we need to be careful with that. You see, this famine came into the land. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that God told his people, he said, Guys, if you follow me, if you obey me, and if you're my people, my covenant people that we've been talking about on Thursday nights, if you are my people, I'll take care of you but when you turn your back on me and you walk away from me, I'm going to allow a famine to come. I'm going to allow the enemy come and to conquer you and deport you. There's going to be hardship and difficulty in your life. And a famine comes into Israel, very localized famine. Moab was just literally right across the Dead Sea, not very far, and they had food. This was a very targeted kind of famine. Israel should have looked up and said, uh-oh, other people have food we don't. What are we doing wrong? What's God trying to do to get our attention? And what do we see is this man, Elimelech, made a choice to take care of his family. He so thought in his mind to say he was a landowner in Israel. We'll see in a little bit uh, next week or so that he owned land, which meant they had provision and opportunity and to have crops and fields and, and, and raise animals and all of that. But when the famine hit, that all dried up. And so he did what most of us would do is look around and say, where do I need to go? Where do I need to find my next job? Where do we need to move in order to provide for our family? And so he made the choice to take his wife with him and to take their two sons with him and to go to a different land. Now, Sean, that doesn't sound so bad. That's not, that sounds like a smart move. If you can't find work where you live and you gotta go move somewhere else to find a reasonable income, then so be it. And we would all do that for sure. But this was different. This is not 2021 USA. This is a time where God said, I'm gonna bring my people to this land. And I'm going to be their God, and I'm going to, and they're going to be my people, and there they will know me. Those of you that have been hanging with us on Thursday nights, remember that tabernacle was there. God's presence was among His people there. And all the world, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to know the one true God of this world and have His blessing in your life, if you wanted to have the privilege of knowing Him, having a relationship with Him, having His favor in your life, you would come there. Because that's where God was. And this man decided to leave with his wife and to leave that blessing. Now, keep in mind, they didn't own a Bible because Bibles weren't common commodities of that day. They were precious and few. They just, the, the modern Bible hadn't been invented. They didn't, everybody just didn't carry around those copies with them. They didn't have God's people to be around. They moved to a land that was completely saturated in foreign gods. Uh, lifestyles that were completely offensive to a holy God. So they decided to join their lives, to jettison all things of their faith, to walk away from God, to disobey all of that, and to walk completely in another direction for provision in their life. See, here's a huge lesson for you and for me. When times are difficult in our lives, we need to be careful about the choice that we make. And Elimelech made a choice to run from the problem and to run away from it. And instead, he ended up running to the problem even more. He was running away from provision. He was running away from death, running away from insolvency. And in the end, in the story as it unfolds, ends up running into his own demise and demise of his family. You see, guys, we need to, when times are difficult in our life, it is appropriate for us to stop and to look up and say, God, are you trying to tell me something? What is it that I need to know? And so often you and I react and we just move beyond, and we just don't even we kind of put our head down and we push on through to other things. And what Elimelech did was when he was in Israel. He, in his heart, obviously didn't respond as a person of faith, didn't respond in a way to to ask God the big question, why is this happening, what do I need to know? He didn't say, "Uh uh-oh, guys, famine in the land, we're the only ones experiencing this, God must be getting on us for something we've done wrong, we need to seek Him, we need to repent as a people. He didn't call prayer times, prayer meetings together, and gather people together, instead... He took matters in his own hand and he ignored all that he had known and he ignored all of the spiritual ramifications in the process. He he ignored the spiritual problems in search of a solution to his physical problems, his food problem. How common is it for you and for me to do that? How common is it for us? We, we at times have a tough time intersecting spiritual matters into our physical reality in the world in which we live. And that's where faith truly comes in that our video talked about. And there is some mystery and challenges and all of that. And I, I just find it so ironic that a man whose name would be, my God is king, would live in such a way that God wasn't his king. Provision and food, and just neglecting and walking away from that. And in the process, he missed, he made an absolute destruction into his family, cut them off from the people of God, removed them from all of that blessing, and he lived out the rest of his days in isolation from God and all of his people. You see, when you and I go through tough times, it's not always that there's problems, that there's sin in our life. There's not. When Job went through difficult times, it wasn't because he was living in some big sin, but it was a time that God was trying to deepen his faith. And Job was asking some questions, why God? And he was doing like most of us would, like, why me, God? Why'd I have to go through it? God was deepening his faith in the process. But you and I When we face those things, whether it's a a result of consequences of our sin or whether it's God just reaching down to us to grow us, deepen our faith, to mature us, to purify us, either way, the outcome's the same, is that God is is in our world and he wants us to, rather than to run from that, wants us to endure that and to, turn, in turn, turn for him for help. Elimelech didn't do any of that. He totally walked away and in the process brought such destruction into his family. I want you to notice how his wife Naomi reacted. We got a little bit of a taste of it. That She heard that God had blessed the people again in Israel and she heard there was food to be had. And so she sets out and In verse 7, she sets out from the place where she was, the Bible says, with her two two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters, Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt kindly with the dead and with me. Apparently, these two wives were wonderful women, had taken care of and loved their husbands well. And in turn, had loved her and, as a mother-in-law. I mean, if you love your mother-in-law, that's some serious stuff right there, right? So, I mean, they were good folks. They loved her. And so Naomi said, you know, go. May God deal with you kindly. In verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, a peace, and a security, and a safety, and blessing in life is what's bound up in that word. Each one of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. We get a taste of Naomi. The Naomi turns to her daughters-in-law and says, I've got nothing for you. Go back to your homeland. Go back and find husbands there. You see, we, we struggle to, to understand in the culture of that day, but in the culture of that day, these two young ladies, the natural thing would have been for them to go back home to mom and dad. Back home to mom and dad is their people, is the what the life that they were familiar with. It was where their resource base was, it was where future opportunities. The world was bleak for a widow. Naomi was an older widow. These were two younger widows. At least they had opportunities to remarry and to, to get reconnected. And Naomi was trying to release them and say, I, 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 you don't owe me anything, and I certainly can't, t- can't take care of you. And she tries to send them on, and they, they didn't want to go. There was genuine love and connection that happened there. And Naomi goes and she kind of argues with them, like, ladies, I, I can't give you husbands Even if I could, if I got married tonight, you're going to have to wait a long time till these guys grow up. Like, let's think here a little bit. How are you going to take care of things? We get a glimpse of Naomi living by sight, continuing on the life that her husband had lived, uh, living by sight, not by faith, trying to figure out the situation by just all the details and what was in front of them. And the ladies did not want to go. And so down in verse 13, the Bible says this. She finally tells him, says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter, extremely bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi, in looking at her life, became bitter. In fact, at the end of chapter 1, when she finally returns back, she tells all of her friends, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant and lovely. Call me Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitter, because God has brought bitterness into my life. He has brought judgment in my life, and he has made me bitter. While Elimelech ran and tried to take matters in his own hands, solve the situation with his own resources, ignored the real problem. The real problem was his own spiritual life. That was why there was famine in the land. The people of Israel, remember the book of Judges, the Bible says that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, doing whatever they wanted to do, just carefree and loose and whatever they felt like was right, what was good for them was good for them, and who cares what anybody else said. Much like the world in we live today, and God says, I'm going to have to turn up the heat a bit to get people's attention. He allowed a famine to come into that land. And folks, there was no government bailout. There's no, you know, CARES Act subsidies coming down the line. There was no social services. There was no nothing. Famine in the land, nobody had anything. This is, this is way worse, more deadly, destructive than anything you and I faced. It was a major issue. So we don't, we don't fault Elimelech for saying, oh no, what are we going to do? But in the process, he missed the whole hand of God, that God was graciously trying to reach into his life. You see, when God allows that hardship to us, we can react and we think, oh, my goodness, God is not loving and he's coming after us. But in reality, God is reaching down to us, trying to draw us in when there's sin and junk in our life that have separated us from God. God confronts us with that. But not just to, not to make fun of us or to reject us or to oppose us. But he does it. He points that stuff out because just like a wise parent knowing that, hey, I've got a responsibility to parent these kids. and I can't let them run off willy-nilly. They need to learn. In fact, if they're going to be a good relationship and we're going to have a home that's going to work and work well, they've got to learn to respect me and to love me. And so God does the same way and he reaches down and confronts us in that. And in the process, Naomi blames God for what happened. She goes and tells her friends, Don't call me Naomi, call me, my new name is Bitterness. You know, the other ladies, I don't know, we don't know exactly how they responded, but, you know, to some degree, they brought it on themselves. She says, I went away full. I had a husband, I had two boys. I'm coming back completely empty. They were planning on wandering around, as the Bible says, we read it earlier, but just sojourn, kind of temporary accommodations. And they ended up spending, who knows, over a decade at least there in that world. How you and I respond when life gets tough and the difficulties come matter. And I want to urge you and challenge you to not become bitter at God not to run away from those problems. When we we run away from the problem, we only take the real problem with us. (laughs) The real problem isn't, oh, if I could just, I just, we need to move. We need to move in a a better place. This is just not a good spot. I need a new job. That's just going to solve my problems. I need a, better relationship. I need a new spouse. This is just not good. I, I, we, we looked at all kinds of excuses, all kinds of things that'll fix our problem when the reality is the problem's on the inside of us and everywhere we go we take that problem with us. That's what Elimelech and Naomi did. So church first big picture is is how you and I respond matters and let's be careful To deal with the problem inside of us. And let's be careful to realize when things are going on in our world. That God is trying to reach down to us. He's trying to get our attention. And let's hear what God is trying to tell us. Second thing. This is only a two-point sermon this morning. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Only two things. Not only does our response Matter. But when desperate times, our response matters. But in desperate times, our faith needs to be deeper and our obedience needs to be deeper. Desperate times require deeper faith. Look with me in verse 15. Let's talk about Ruth. So we just saw that Ruth clung to Naomi. Orpah, Naomi gave the same speech. Ladies, go home, go back to your family. That's where your future is. You're young, you're beautiful, you're great ladies. You're going to find husbands. May God take care of you and have a wonderful life. And both the ladies said, no, we don't want it. And Naomi kind of firmly said, hey, think about this. Orpah left, kissed her mother-in-law and left. But Ruth, the Bible says, clung to her, just super glued to her. And then Ruth says this in verse 15, key passage for the whole book. The Bible says this. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back. This is Naomi, actually. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Hey, she made the right choice. Follow her. Do what she said. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried in the story. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Ruth does something amazing here we don't see Ruth bitter. She lost a father-in-law, lost a husband, lost a brother-in-law. Had no children, which in her world, I mean it's difficult in any world, but especially in the culture of that time, would have been so painful. On top of it, she was married into a family that were kind of drifters. They were They were sojourners. I know the culture was a little more nomadic in that time period, but they were were not from around here. They didn't own land. They were transient workers. And so these ladies married into families that were not necessarily great options, if you will, you know, and then... She goes and she loses everything, and now she's with a trio of widows. It's hard enough for one widow to make their way in the world, but three? And what do we see from Ruth? We don't see her running from her problems. We don't see her bitter. And instead, we don't even see her out of desperation clinging to Naomi and to Naomi's God and Naomi's people. Key understanding, that's a package here. We see her Her parents are still alive, most likely, because she talks later on about, you know, going to to the family. Go to your parents. Go to your mom's household and all of that. Go back. You'll be taken care of there. They'll take care of you. They'll help you land on your feet and help you to move forward in life. And instead, she steps forward in faith and obedience and commitment to the God of heaven. You see... For as much as I talked about Naomi and, and Elimelech not following God, somehow in the middle of their life, they did something right it, it, along the way that demonstrated who God really was. Because Naomi said, hey, your sister-in-law is going back to her gods, which meant when you were in our house, they weren't serving them. They were serving the one true God. And this is a shed water. This is a fork in the road kind of experience for Ruth. Ruth. She had heard these things in her life, but now she was facing the day of decision. Was she going to go back to all she had ever known and to the gods of her people, Chemosh and the other gods that they worshipped, or would she, for now and forever, hold to the one true God in heaven? And she chooses the latter. She chooses not just so much Naomi. Yes, it's a wonderful commitment to Naomi, but it's much deeper than that. Naomi was the segue, was the, 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 the on-ramp to a life with God and God's people and blessing. And Naomi, Ruth chose that, to be with God. Her faith became very deep and very committed on that day. You see, real faith... It's determined by a heart, soul, and mind and body commitment. Real faith is when we go all in. Real faith is, Ruth said, hey, wherever you stay, I'm going. I'm going to be with that God. I'm going to be with that people to the day I die. I am committed and all in with the God of heaven. You see, real faith is you and me stepping forward and saying, God, I am all in. I'm not one foot in, one foot out. I'm not kind of hedging my bets. I'm not just kind of dancing and seeing around. I am all in. That's what real faith is. It's easy to talk about faith, and most people when we talk about faith aren't talking about that kind of faith. That kind of faith is a a deep level of commitment where where we surrender everything in our life, and we have no promise of exactly what the future is going to be. She puts no ifs on here. Well, if we have a good place to live, if this works out, I'm going to be with that God. It's a, I'm with God no matter what. No matter what the results may be. You see, real faith says, I'm not looking at my resources. Mm, I got pretty good options here. Oh, this is pretty good. I'm going to weigh the pros and the cons and the pros and the cons and, the, and look back and forth. Real faith says, I'm not looking at all of the resources that I have. I'm going to walk away from that and I'm going to trust God because he's the only resource that I need. In fact, Ruth's future prospects were way worse than Naomi than had she gone back home. Naomi didn't have anything to give her. Naomi can't comes back the one who abandoned Israel, the one who turned her back on God culturally, the one, what's she gonna come back to? Farm fields that are overgrown and not taken care of? And Ruth said, I'm whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, I'm with that God. You see, that's what real faith is. Real faith isn't just simply, you know, believing in spite of evidence. In fact, real faith is believing because of the evidence, but real faith goes farther and says, I'm going to believe in spite of the consequences. Whatever they may be, I'm going to follow God and do what God says. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to hold to Him. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to do what He says no matter what. Elimelech and Naomi wanted God to bless them in spite of their actions. Ruth said, I'm just going to pursue God regardless of what blessings I get in life or not. I want to be with him. I'm going to trust him. Trust that my future is there. That's what real faith is. It's a, it's a lifetime commitment, fork in the road. that she said, if I don't see my parents again, sad. I don't know how vacations worked. I assume they didn't have to get go through quarantine and all of that craziness on their way back from the other lands. I don't know how that all worked. I imagine they saw one another, but nonetheless, you walked everywhere you went. When you got 50 miles, you know, you just head on out to Syracuse, start walking today, and, you know, I'll see you in a month or two, you know, have a good trip. Just was not An easy thing to do. But she said, I'm going to choose God over everything else. God is what's most important. I choose God over all of the appearances, what's going on. In fact, think of this with me. Everything in Ruth's life at that point had fallen apart. Income gone. Marriage gone future in a rubble. And most of us would be questioning God's love. God, I'm not sure you really love me. An average person would be saying, I'm mad at God for letting this happen. I'm mad at God for all these things going on. But we don't see her there. She's not blaming God for that stuff. She's probably saying, you know, I don't know that I get it, but I'm still just going to trust God. And that's the attitude we ought to have today. So many today try to make God fit into their box. Well, so I'll believe God only if my little world works out perfectly and it's just all my expectations. And then I'll... And Ruth said, I'm going to trust God and he's out of the box and none of my expectations that I wanted in life have turned out well, but I don't care. I'm going to trust him. You see, guys, for us this morning, there's a couple of decisions that, that are bouncing around. Ruth had heard about the things of God. She'd been taught, she had known things. She didn't just commit to God out of the blue. But whether or not she had fully ever gone in, we don't know. I get the sense from this passage that this was even new revelation to her, that God was kind of bringing her to that point of all in, not turning her back like her sister walking away, but going all in. So for some of you, you've learned and heard about these stories about Jesus and about his love for you and dying on the cross. And you may be at that exact point, where things have not worked out well in your life and whatever's going on the way that you've wanted. And maybe you've held God responsible for that. But the message is the same regardless, is you need to take that firm and final, deeper commitment for Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord of your life, where you give Him a blank check that says, God, no matter what the consequences are, I want to follow Jesus. I want to commit to Him today. Him to be my Lord and my Savior. Regardless. Don't know what's going to happen in the future. We, in hindsight, get to look at the book of Ruth and see all the amazing things that happen later on. But she didn't know any of that. She just said, I choose God. I choose God. For some of you, you need to take that step to make a firm and final and real commitment to cling to the God of heaven on high. Others of us need to recognize that when the going gets tough, that we shouldn't run from our problems. In fact, very often, we're the reason why some of that stuff's going on. Not always. Often. Not always. And when those things hit, you need to look up. So for some of you, you need to look around and say, God, things aren't going right now the way I want them. What are you trying to do right now? What are you trying to tell me? And you and I... Need to trust God with the simplicity because we have already made that commitment to Jesus. We need to continue in that, just like Ruth says I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm with God. I'm with Him. Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to obey Him regardless of the consequences and whatever goes on in life. I remember when I first made that commitment. I was 13 years old. I remember sitting in church. I was just sitting there. The church that I went to as a kid had had wooden pews, not nice and comfortable like this. And the pastor preached longer than I did and was not nearly as, as fun as I am. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. And I remember as a 12, 13-year-old boy just sitting there. And in the series of the services, just being convicted, I had been brought up in church most of my life, had believed in God and, you know, gone to Sunday school and all that stuff. But I remember one day sitting there, I was at the end of the pew. I remember this, the pew was here and kind of went down. I was the only one in that whole pew. In fact, as I recall, it was like the fourth one from the, the front. And at the end of that service, I knew that I knew that while I was a pretty good kid, That I was a sinner before God, and I needed His saving grace in my life, and I needed to make that commitment to Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And after the service, I went and told the pastor, ended up happening to be my dad, which actually made it harder, not easier, made it actually harder, right? Family and all of that. And I remember talking to him, remember saying, "Dad, I, I need, I need to be saved." I I know that I'm lost. And he said, Son, you know what to do. And he was right. I remember getting on my knees, the front row, right over to the right. I got on my knees and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I know you love me, and I know you came to die for me. And I don't want to die separated from you. I don't want to go to hell. Would you come in my life? Would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? I did that almost 40, it'll be this year, it'll be 40 years ago, and it's the only decision in my life that I have not seen any downside or any regret at any time whatsoever. How many decisions do you and I make where we regret? We get a car and we're thinking, "Eh, I don't like this, Uh, I wish that could be better. Get a house. Oh, I thought this was better and it was going to be. Relationship. Oh, this was. I thought this was going to be wonderful. Not so wonderful. Oh, this is hard. Not once. Forty years. Forty years. Folks, you never get a downside with Jesus. Never. He promises, I will always take care of you. I will never fail you. And He's never failed me as a teenage boy, as a young man, as a husband, as a father with eight kids, how in the world do you provide in a world today like that? It's never failed once. We need to learn the lesson of Ruth. To put our commitment all in with him, to start that. Just being around the people of God is not enough. And then as the challenges arise, to continue to just simply trust God and walk forward in that faith, trusting in whatever's coming down the line. I don't know where you are this morning in terms of what God's speaking into your heart spiritually, but I'm guessing God wants your faith somewhere to grow and to be challenged. To either have faith for the first time to make that commitment like Ruth did and that I did, Or that faith that you already have to go a little bit deeper. Maybe you've been struggling with how to handle some of those problems. I don't know. But whatever God's been speaking to your heart, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to give you a chance to just give you a moment with God, just you and God talking with Him, to give you a chance to say, God, I want to follow you. Or God, I'm going to continue to follow you. But would you take a moment, if we just have some quiet this morning, and would you just, between you and God, respond to whatever he's been speaking to your heart? And then we're going to celebrate how we get to have that faith, that through Jesus die on the cross. But take your moment right now, if you would, and I'll have prayer for us. Lord in heaven, I pray for those this morning that have been around the people of God for so many years, or maybe most of their life, like I even was up to that point of the age of 13, but who've never stepped forward and just really made that commitment. Lord, I remember the obstacles in my little brain as a teenager, teenage boy, loving my dad and not wanting him to look bad, somehow thinking that if I made that commitment, that it would somehow reflect badly on him. And Father, that was silly thinking and thinking of the enemy. But Lord, I know there's others in our church midst that have other objections that make it so difficult to just move past and to take those steps of faith. Lord, I pray, I pray, Father, that they would just push through, much like Ruth did, and that whatever they're weighing pros and cons and whatever's going on in their mind, that they'll realize none of those things matter but the only thing that matters is knowing you. And Lord, I pray for others that are wrestling with just truly living by faith and obedience. Father, we live in a world of easy gratification and everybody wants to be happy and have instantaneous this and that. And Father, you you just truly don't work that way and you never will. And Lord, would you help us to obey you, to trust you, in the face of adversity, in the deep face of the unknown, would we would you just help us to be obedient and faithful to you regardless of the consequences? So, God, whatever's in people's hearts this morning, I lift them to you. I ask you to hear our prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't you go ahead and take the the cup and the chair in front of you or beside you? And we want to celebrate. our our Lord's table together this morning. It's a privilege to do that. We do it regularly, once a month at least, to celebrate and be reminded of why we can have faith to begin with, and that's that God has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. As we were going through the last few weeks on, on Thursday nights, looking at Jesus and all the Bible and from Genesis to Revelation, I just, I've enjoyed so much through the prophets and I wish we'd have done this study years ago. But uh, it reminded me, we talk about the new covenant, right? Every week, this is a, an example, a representative of the new covenant, the new relationship, the new agreement that God made. Not that we came to the table as equals, like when you buy a house, you know, buyer-seller together, making an agreement. This new covenant is God's deal for us. He did all of the work, and we just simply receive it by faith. And it's the new covenant that God had to work, because all the old covenants, all of the old arrangements fell short. And it's the covenant that he worked in Jesus' blood for us on the cross that hung there, his body broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. I love that Jeremiah predicted that day and he says and I'm going to read from the the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 Jeremiah says this Behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So fitting for us to have read Ruth and looked at her life, that God in this new covenant says, I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And I'm going to take my laws and write it, put it in, infuse it into the DNA of their heart. No longer written on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments. But I'm going to take my character and the Holy Spirit and I'm going to infuse it into their soul. And they're going to know me, a personal relationship with me. And I will forgive them of all of their past transgressions, all of their... Sins and all the wrong they've done, give them a new life, and I will remember those no more, and I will forgive all of that in this this new agreement that I'm doing, that can't be broken. What you and I celebrate today is that new covenant that we, even though we're not Jewish, that God, when we turn and trust Him, just like I did when I was 13, turned for my sins and asked Jesus to save me that I entered into that covenant. And when you did that, you entered into that new covenant. And Jesus told us to remember that regularly of exactly what he did. So go ahead and open your, open the wafer there. If you've been here before, you know these pull hard. So it's the clear tab if you haven't seen these before. Jesus, that night when he was with his disciples, he said, Take ye, this is my body, which is given, which is a ransom, we talked about Thursday night, for you. The Bible says after that supper they took this cup. It was a picture of Jesus' blood. Not in reality, but a a metaphor. Kind of like a parable. Just a picture. That that new covenant would come with a great price. That Jesus would die. That his blood would be what forgives us of our sins. So the The wonderful relationship that we celebrate and we get to have with God is only because of his blood. And this is to remind us of that. Jesus said, as often as we do this, do this in remembrance of him. Aren't you glad that Jesus saves? I am. Aren't you glad he challenges us to grow in faith? I am. It's not always fun, but I'm glad he challenges us. And if you're still on that fence about wanting to trust Jesus or not sure or go all in or not, I would love to talk to you. And if not me, somebody else would talk to you. So talk to somebody you know here. Talk to me. Reach out to me. But it matters. It matters. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for Ruth. What an amazing story of her redemption, Father, and how you're such a gracious God to reveal yourself to her, and she in turn clung to you. Father, may we do likewise against all the evidences and the things that we see in life. May we not worry about what other people are doing. May we not worry about what other people are thinking. May we just cling to you ourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.